I love storytelling. I think it's a basic human power. You can think about communication as something that basically connects us physically. But I start to think more and more about stories as simulation, basically. Hello, and welcome to The Common Creative. My name is Chris Meredith. And I'm Paul Fairweather. And this week's guest, I think it's fair to say, is a celebrity. It's a name that many of our listeners will have heard of. Professor Uri Hassan, a professor of psychology and neuropsychology at Princeton University. Um, a famous TED talk on, is this, is your brain on creativity? And a pioneer in scientific research on how the brain communicates and how we use stories, stories to get ideas from one brain into another person's brain. Yeah, it was a fantastic interview, Chris. Uh, a little bit unusual for us where, you know, we um, normally record during the day, but it's midnight here now uh, and Yuri's uh, just uh, just left us. <laughs> Let's get him in. Let's hear. Uh, Professor Yuri Hassan, uh, welcome to the Common Creative Podcast. Happy to be here. It's great to have you on your show. I'm very excited to hear more about your world and the world of storytelling. Yeah. So, uh, Yuri, just before we get into um, your work, uh, I just want to know your backstory. Like, how did you get to, you know, where you are, uh, you know? <laughs> Backstories. I grew up in Jerusalem, so, and I studied philosophy. Actually, I really wanted to be a fictional writer. I really wanted to be a writer. So I went to philosophy to be a bit more smarter when I'm writing stuff. <laughs> and I got fascinated by philosophy of the mind. And then I say, wait, it's not only philosophical questions, it's also empirical questions. Our mind is working. So I moved to cognitive psychology. And after studying cognitive psychology, I say, wait, there is also the brain. <laughs> and then I moved to, to neurobiology and did PhD in neuroscience. And this is how I got here. <laughs> and, and I'm guessing you love storytelling, Yuri. I mean, you have a young family. I see the clip of your, your son. I don't know if you have other kids as well. Um, and we'll come on to talk about your work in the field of storytelling and the way human beings connect with each other. I mean, am I right? Are you a storytelling fanatic? Yeah, I love storytelling. I think it's a basic human power and, and we use it a lot. And, and it's really improved the communication of people between people and it really can change things. So storytelling is very powerful. Um, Paul and I have kind of listened to and read some of your work and I, I would, I'm going to paraphrase it very badly. I'm hoping you can correct me. So for the benefit of the audience, tell us kind of what your research has, has helped us understand about the way human beings connect. Um, I mean, if I were going to paraphrase it, I, I, I know there's a piece of jargon it's about neural entrainment, which I hope you'll explain more about, but it's, it's about how the fact that when people communicate with stories, with, with ideas, 
their brains can be seen to sync up. It's like taking something that's inside your own brain and almost transplanting it into the brains of your audience. How badly do, do, is that as a description of what you do, what you've learned? It, it, it's pretty good, actually. <laughs> but but I, I would call it neural coupling. And, and we should start by saying that for communication, you need two people, right? If you're talking with yourself, you're not communicating anything. And now there is a challenge, right? If I'm communicating with another person, we need to agree on stuff before we can communicate. You know, I'm holding this like iPhone now, but we decided yep. to call it iPhone. This is an arbitrary word we choose, right? So if we want to agree about it, and I will call it uh, Gaga, you won't know what I'm saying, right? So in a way, Communication requires an agreement between people. So there's like some circularity, right? We didn't invent English, for example, or any other language. We learned it from other people, so basically. So we learn how to use language from the community of speakers. So language is not in our brain. It's in all other brains that already agree about, upon it. So this is the challenge of communication. And what we study basically is this like magic, you know, I'm opening my mouth to you on the other side of, of the earth. Of the if world. I will dig now from the US, I will probably get <laughs> <laughs> next to you. And we communicate it over the internet, over this like very noisy wireless communication and still we manage to, to talk and, and transmit information. So. Communication is like magic that we transmit information from one brain to another brain. And this is what we study. And this is the basic of storytelling. So, Yuri, can you, um, for benefit of our listeners, listeners uh, just give us a, a, a quick uh, snapshot of that, of that research that you did about, you know, what, what happens in the brain when these stories are, are told? Okay, so... so I'm a neuroscientist, so we're looking on, on the underlying neural processes that enable communication. We have the technology to look on the brain patterns of people while they are telling stories, and we have the technology to look on the listener's brain while they're listening to these stories. We're mainly using fMRI, but we have also other techniques. We also have like FNIRS and ECOG, which is like intracranial recording in epileptic patient, they open the, the scalp of the patient and put electrode in the brain of patients with epilepsy. We can also record them while communicating. So we have different ways to look on people's brains activity while they are telling stories. And now what we're asking is, how does one brain communicate with another brain instead of how one person communicate with another person? So we're looking one, one level below. And, and we can start with a metaphor. It's not a precise metaphor, but it will take us some miles ahead. So let's use it at the beginning and then I'm going to complicate things a bit. You can think about it you can think about communication as something that basically connects us physically. Okay? I have brain waves in my brain. And these brain waves represent what I'm thinking. And now I'm 
translating these brain waves into sound waves by articulating the words. And it's like sound waves going through the internet into your brains. And now they change your brain waves. So in a way, your brain wave now are being modified by my brain wave using this like sound wave. So there's actual coupling. We are really connected now. And this is how I can change your brains. And my task as a speaker is to take these like brain patterns that associate with what I'm thinking and move it and put it in your brains. So in a way, I'm trying to make your brains similar to mine by communicating. And if you're really confused and don't get what I'm saying, your brain responses are very different than mine. <laughs> and if you get me, your brain responses start to be similar to mine. And probably we're somewhere in the middle. <laughs> you're somehow similar to mine and are different. So uh, one of the points certainly that I make, I think Paul makes as well to the, some of the people we teach, is that if, if you've got an idea that you want to share, it's vital to understand and embrace the idea of storytelling. And I, I'm, I'm guessing you'd, you'd, kind of, you'd agree with that, that your research proves that storytelling is indeed the way that you get brains to come up with each other. Uh, do you have a, there are lots of thoughts written about what a story is, but do you have a view on what makes a, what, what is the definition of a story from a neuroscientist's point of view? Oh, no. I mean, this is really difficult. I mean, basically, there are different ways to tell stories. So I, I don't think there's like one simple definition of what is a story. And there are like personal narrative, there are fictional narrative, there are educational story. When, when you teach students, so there are really different ways to speak. It's not like there's like one way. But, but I start to think more and more about stories as simulation, basically. Instead of going to the experience, you learn from other people's experiences. So in a way, it's like a way to share memories and to expose you to different realities that you've never been while you're sitting safely in your home and listen. So, so I think this is basically, it's a way for, for people, and I think this is why also we care about stories, because we feel, oh, you know, I haven't climbing this like a high mountain, which is like really scary, but I learned a lot about the experience, even if I didn't do it. Oh, you know, I was never mugged violently, but I learned from the story of what it can happen. So it's really, I got information about the world that can help me the next time I, I will encounter something. Um, Yuri, I'm just interested just sort of on that point, uh, you know, and sort of following on, uh, a couple of months ago, we had uh, a neuroscientist, uh, Selena Bartlett. I don't know if you know of her. Um, she's a she's Australian, but she spent her career in the States and the expert on addictions. But she talked about uh, the fact that when you're ideating and with when you're um, you know brainstorming with people, um, the reverse happens that you can actually get. Um, and you know where ideas come from is that you have different parts of different people's brains firing um, at the same time, you know, in, in a group discussion to come up with different ideas. Um, and and my experience is, you know, that's true. In fact, I, I know I know that you've given a TED talk, and 
I've been lucky enough to go to about half a dozen TEDs and Chris always says, you know, from the stage, you know, don't go and start a new idea, you know, get get on someone else's bandwagon. Do you think um, we, we sort of have this theory that if you want to spread an idea, it's best to embed it in the story so that you don't get people's brains to fire differently. Would you agree with that? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that that's the power of stories to change the world, basically. If I'm infecting your brain with an idea and then you're infecting another brain with the same idea and you now it's propagated. And that's become very powerful stories, right? So this is why we want our stories to propagate across brains. It's very, very, very powerful. So do you have any um, suggestions then about what makes a great story? In other words, how to make your communication even more powerful? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing if I can preempt your answers, you, you're using the definition of story as a simulation. The more the story helps bring to life that simulation, the more powerful it is. Is that a good way of thinking about what makes a powerful story? I think of it going, okay, first a disclaimer, and then I will say something. <laughs> a disclaimer is, I don't think we can give a prescription of how to tell better stories for people based on our studies. We basically looking on the basis of communication. So it's a bit like a basic science. I can see the effect of your story on other people's brains, but I don't think I can tell you how to improve your storytelling because that's not what we do. And, and to be honest, you don't need to be a neuroscientist to tell people how to tell better stories. Mm -hmm. There are really professional people that can do it, and they understand how to do it better than us. Because it's something that was evolved like across many, many thousands of years in human culture without knowing anything about neuroscience. Right? We use our brain while we don't know anything what's going on in our brain. So, so people have the intuition how to do it, and they don't need the brain for that. So, so, so you're, I'm oh, sorry, keep going. Yeah, that was the disclaimer. I'm, I'm hoping you're going to go on to get but. <laughs> yeah. I, I had but. I'll ask the question again and the but will come. Well, the, the question is kind of what, what makes a great story. And you're saying the research by itself can't really guide us on that because that's not what you're doing. Um, but I'm wondering if, as like perhaps as a human being or an observer of storytelling, you've got a, a oh yeah, okay, okay, okay. After the disclaimer, so the but is, and the but is also a bit complicated. <laughs> and we go back to the point that you know, for story, we need two people, and these two people have to come together. So whatever story will work for this particular meeting of the minds will not work when I'm going to meet another person with another background. So actually you need to fine tune your stories to the audience and you need the audience to want to listen to you. And this is something that is outside of the story. I mean, you can see it now in the US politics, for example, there is this like a January 6th committee and they are telling an amazing story and it's, I really recommend everyone to go and listen to this like 10 hours of recording. Now there is another one, so maybe 12 hours of recording. But most people don't want to listen to this story. So half of the country is tuned out. And it doesn't matter how good is the storytelling, 
they won't listen. Um, just sort of to build on that, one of the things looking at, you know, some of your other presentations and things, and, and in fact, I think in, the, in, um, in your TED Talk, you talk about someone, you know, watching a movie and retelling that story. Um, Chris and I, we, we talk about ideas and stories and illustration, um, as we talked about, you know, planning an idea in a story. But then, you know, to, to reinforce that, we talk about illustrating it, not necessarily visual. It could be a metaphor, which you've already used, or it could be uh, music. And I, I noticed that you talk uh, about uh, film and music. Does that sort of amplify, you know, have you, do you can see, can you see in your um, studies that, you know, if a story has visuals and music or whatever it might be, that it, that it amplifies this effect that you're talking about? I think it's amplifying the memory, the encoding. And so you will remember it better and then it will, might have greater impact on the long run. But I think for also for the audience, maybe let's go a bit specific. <laughs> I think we are a bit abstract. Let, let, let's give, I will give two examples of real studies that we are doing so people understand what we really do. Okay. Yep. Fantastic. And basically, let, let, let's start with the, research that you mentioned about uh, sharing memories of a movie. We let people watch a movie for the first time in their life. It was like a TV show, Sherlock, the first episode of the new TV series. They watched the pilot episode. And this is like an experience. It's also like listening to a story, actually watching a movie with telling a good story, right? So basically you are exposed to a story. And then you have to encode it into memory. So we scan their brains while they are watching the movie. Next, we give them the opposite condition. What is the opposite? Instead of being immersed in an audiovisual experience in the fMRI scanner while we watch, uh, scan their brain, we put them in the dark scanner. We scan their brains, but there is no input coming in. They are in the dark. You only give them a microphone and ask them, can you tell the story of the movie you just encoded into your memory to other people? And you know, we always do it on a daily basis. You watch a movie, you go to dinner and you tell other people about the movie about, right? So now we scan the brain of people while they are remembering the movie and retelling it to another brain. Finally, we took the recording while they are speaking in the scanner, and we play it to people, only only the sound, right, because it only was like a sound recording, to people that never watched the movie, to the audience, basically, right? And what we saw was amazing. First, we saw that by speaking and retelling the story, I reactivate the patterns in my brain that happened while I was watching the movie. So if I'm telling you something like Sherlock was driving with a taxi cab and the taxi cab was the murderer, okay, spoiler alert, <laughs> basically, I'm reactivating the brain pattern that was in my brain while I was really watching the movie, okay? And now you listen to my sentence, Sherlock went into the taxi. 
with a taxi driver that was the murderer, but you never seen the movie. So now you have to imagine the movie that I saw. And what we see is that your imagination of the movie is similar to me watching the movie. So in a way, by wow. using storytelling, I brought you to my experience. So now you can see that storytelling is a way also to communicate my memories. It's a way for me to reactivate my memories, but it's also a way for me to put, in, implant my memories into your brains. And that's like a magic. <laughs> now, it doesn't have to be basically over it, like a movie over a movie over a movie, right? So basically, so we are really similar, but I can tell you what happened yesterday in my life, okay? Uh, I can tell you I played ping pong with my son, okay? Suddenly, the activation that I had while playing ping pong is in your head. And that's like an amazing capacity, right? And that, I think, the magic of storytelling. So this is one example of how we do our studies. And let me, I'm guessing, I feel like you probably answered this question already, but, but I'm going to try it anyway, because uh, there are certain people who entrance you when they're telling stories and you might picture yeah. that ping pong game with your son and imagine how he might be kind of you know, learning the game and you're teaching the game, wherever it might be. And then there are other people, and we've all got mates like this, who just seem to wrap it on and, and you and you tune out, don't you? There's no interest in their story for whatever reason. Um, yeah. And so I mean, the question is, what, what's the difference? Is there a way of determining what makes people draw in from a neuroscience yeah. point of view? I mean, you've already said yeah. it's it's really, it's it's hard to say from a research point of view, but uh, are there any clues? Yeah, we have, we have. We've seen it in the, actually, we've seen it in our study. Actually, my, uh, my, my postdoc, Janice Chen, who was like running this study, told it to me in like a beautiful sentence. Now she's a professor in John Hopkins. She was telling me, storytelling is like taking orange juices and give you the juice. So it gives you the essence. And, and we had, for example, the, the movie they watched took 50 minutes. We have one subject that it took her 45 minutes to tell a 50-minute movie. And you can imagine that it was very, very, very boring. <laughs> On the other end, there was like people that were really efficient. It took them like 12 minutes to tell this like 50-minute movie. And they were way more engaging. So I think basically you need to squeeze the essence and give you... The essence of the story, if you give all the details, people will go and fall asleep. Yuri, just, I, I just have a, um, a, a question whether, whether this is you know, an extension that, that you've experienced or, or witnessed. But so, you know, you, you've implanted that story in my brain. Um, and so obviously I have a response to that story. Yeah. Um, like a... a, a I'm going to say an emotional response. Um, is it possible to see whether those emotional responses um, are similar? Um, you know, I suppose, you know, we, some people respond differently, but, you know, I suppose that's the whole thing about the storytelling is that you're trying to, you know, it's about the empathy. Um, and when you sort of say that's this magic, it's also becomes a very powerful tool. Um, and I often wonder, you know, 
when someone's telling me a story uh, and I'm getting agitated, um, I'm, I'm thinking it's a response to them telling me this story, but whether it's I'm actually just getting agitated because they were agitated when they heard the story or, or, or the incident that happened. So does it go that far? Like does it, does it you know, mirror the emotions as well? Yes, it, it does. In a way, people think, you know, you neuroscientists, you can study communication, you can study language, but emotion is very private. It's only mine. There is no way basically to find it, but everything is in the brain, right? What you see, what you think, and what you feel. And when we look on areas that process emotion, like the limbic system, we see the same. We see the same coupling between my emotions and your emotions. So we also transmit our emotions by storytelling, and I think it's a very crucial component. Now, there is another thing that you were saying, and again, I'm going to complicate stuff a bit for the audience, but I think it's really important. When I'm telling the story of the movie, it's not it like you seeing the movie itself. You've seen my version of the movie. You've seen my emotion, okay? I didn't admit another viewers can have a different perspective of the movie. And you will, if you will listen to his description, you will get his descriptive. So you get my version. And that's really, really, really important because this is complicate the story because storytelling is not transmitting the reality. It's not like our memories are precise and I'm mm-hmm. transmitting the reality and transmitting my version of reality. And this version can be very different across people. You've reminded me of a discussion I had on a, on a, a course about writing as it happens. And one of the students asked the tutor a question, uh, why we should bother with fiction? Uh, he said, I read many factual things, and I'm not a, not a fictional writer. And the, dis- the end point of the discussion was that there was more truth in the fiction than the fact, because I think I think the point was it, in the fiction, people are communicating their real emotions, what's really going on inside, whereas technical books and so on don't have that ability to communicate. Um, so I'm wondering if, if that's what you're saying. By communicating emotions, you're actually communicating the truth of who you are and what you feel. It's true. You communicate your truth. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and that's really, that's really, really important. And, and this really brings me to, because I think it's really important to this moment where we're living it, that basically the reality is basically got very different across different segments of, of our, of the population. So let's, let's give you, Another experiment that we did, and I think this is also so how complicated communication is, and how my metaphor of me being coupled to your brain and change your brain is a bit simple-minded because we are two people and you might resist, right, to this like coupling. So, so let me give you an, uh, the, uh, the the experiment. We took a story. And this is like uh, of uh, J.D. Salinger, and it's really an ambiguous story. The background of the story, it's a short story, uh, Green My Eyes, that have two interpretations. So, so the background of the story is following. 
husband lost track of his wife in a party in New York. He's a very anxious guy. He goes to his apartment alone, middle of the night. His wife is not there. Doesn't know what to do. He's calling his best friend. Very, very anxious. Did you see my wife? I'm really worried. Can I come over? I don't know what to do. And next to the best friend, there is a naked woman. And Salinger is very, very smart. He does not reveal her identity. At some point of the story, you think this is the wife, naked, having an affair with the best friend. And at some part of the story, you think, no, this is actually the girlfriend of, of the best friend. And this is really anxious, very jealous husband. So you jump between these interpretations. So as a good scientist, we ruin the ambiguity of the story. <laughs> in a way, we ruin the beauty of the story. For all of the people, before the story started, we told them, this is the wife naked, having an affair with the best friend. So half of the people was thinking this is the wife. And for the other half of the audience, we, say, we said, this is the girlfriend of the best friend. The wife is very loyal and the husband is very jealous. Okay. So now we gave you a context. We gave you a memory. We gave you a perspective. But everyone listened to the same story. So basically, all the audience listened to the exact same story. They simply came from two different places. And now we look on the brain and we see how similar your brain patterns to other people that uh, think like you. And now we take a new subject and we train a, <clears throat> a machine learning classifier. We don't go to details. Okay. So we know how the patterns look for people that believe the wife have an affair and for people that believe the husband is jealous. And now I'm taking a new brain that I don't know anything about it. And I'm putting it in the machine and I try to predict what they are thinking. So chance level is 50-50, right? I need to, to, to guess. 50-50, that will be the chance level. I'm looking on your brain responses, how similar you are to other people, and I can guess by 93% whether you think the wife of an affair or the husband is, is, is better. So that's basically a strong effect. So you become more similar to people that think like you. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I, I, the point that you're, you're alluding now to the kind of the echo chamber effect that the more you find people that are similar, yeah. the more it reinforces what you've got. And this is how extreme points of view develop. Is, is that, is that where you're going with that, that point? Absolutely. So, so let, let's stop for, for a second and ask a strange question because I think there is, because I think let's separate what we are thinking than reality, because I think people stop doing it. <laughs> but that's what we do as a scientist. So, 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 so let's stop over here and let me ask you, which version is correct? The wife had an affair or the husband is jealous? I'm, I'm thinking you've got no way of knowing. You, if, you, you'd have to guess it, I suppose. So, and, yeah. Correct. And also you can say it like it's an answer question because this is like fictional stories. We go back to fiction. <laughs> well, what you mean yeah. is fiction. <laughs> okay. So let's, 
so let's go to real life for a second because I think that that will make the point and it's really an important point. Let me tell you a story. The ex-president of the United States, Donald Trump, was sleeping with a porn star while his wife was pregnant, and then he gave money during the campaign to make her silent to his lawyers. Is it a true story or fake news? True story. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt at all. True story. <laughs> That's an easy know? one. <laughs> yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, <laughs> I would base that on. I read it on. I read it on Twitter. <laughs> I read it on Twitter. <laughs> um, but you're right. I mean, I've I, I've listened to lots of um, news stories about that over time. I know what I know. What I've read, anyway, about Donald Trump and his history, and so you build up a picture, I suppose, and you piece all that together and say, based on that, that context, to use the word, I would then put this new question in the, in the context of what else I know. And so, so yes, I suppose it's re- that I'm, I'm saying that reinforces a judgment I've already made about that person. Would that be, it's, to, that's good, this proves yeah, your point. It, it, yeah, yeah, it's exactly the point. And, and this is basically, first for the audience, <laughs> we should know. It either happened or it did not, right? Reality is one reality. It either happened or it's fake news. It cannot be both, right? Yes, yes. Now, second, you immediately, all the, the audience sense, oh, it's difficult to know what really happened because we weren't in the room, right? So it's really difficult to know. And third, there are some tools for the society to know. You can launch an FBI investigation you can look on the recording from the lawyers, you can see the money transfer, and then you know whether it's true or not. So basically, you can do the investigation. And and that's like scientists. We know there is reality. We know it's difficult to understand what's going on. And this is why we do some research and gathering data. So there is a way to know, but it's not easy. And we need to read a lot and investigate a lot. Um, Yuri, I just... Um, that, that, that's. That is a, a great example that you've given of, you know, of the study and, and Salinger and then Trump. I was interested, I, I know in one of your talks uh, or you mentioned uh, or one of your interviews that uh, a great storytelling platform is The Moth um, and, it, and it's about, uh, you know, The Moth podcast? Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's about true stories, you know, as 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 affirmed or remembered, um, I've actually done a a five minute story slam in Sydney. It was really great fun. Have you done it by any chance? I only listened a lot. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I used to live in New York City when it was only starting. There was like no lines. It wasn't known. We went to the bar and and we knew all the storytellers. And I have many friends from the mall. Right. I I I wanted to tell you a, a actually, story. I also did a story. I did a story. Once. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Oh, okay. I did. Oh, fantastic. I wanted to tell your story, just to sort of that sort of um, common ground. Um, I, I was lucky enough to do a, a three-minute uh, talk on the TED stage uh, as part of, you know, sort of I put my hand up for it and, and told a story. But the year that I was there, um, Tim Berners-Lee was there, and I don't know if you stayed for the full TED when you gave your TED talk, but they have a, um, a picnic on the last day at the end. Uh, and I was there at this picnic, 
and I saw uh, Tim Berners-Lee, who, you know, as we know, sort of, you know, is accredited as inventing the internet. And there was people everywhere in groups talking and stuff, but Tim Berners-Lee was standing by himself (laughs) (laughs) with no one around him. So I went up and introduced myself and said, Tim, I just um, I had to come and talk to you because I think it's pretty ironic that you've connected everyone and you're standing here with no one to talk to. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, 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 then I had a chat and that's how I uh, met Tim Berners-Lee. <laughs> that's a good story. <laughs> it's, actually, can we think here, we've had you know, um, that little catchphrases, ideas worth spreading and, uh, you know, the speakers on the stage, I guess, are masters of storytelling. Um, I, I was just going back to this point about um, the echo chamber. We kind of, we we form views based on what we've, the context that we've already formed about things. Um, are, are we getting better at storytelling um, maybe in a dangerous way that we're getting better at reinforcing our own views or recruiting people to our own views or is the art of storytelling being distorted because in the in the world of business one of my my points is that business people are terrible storytellers they assault each other with bullet points and powerpoint and stuff that really isn't a great way of communicating but i wonder actually in the light of what you said is actually we're getting cunning with our storytelling we're actually getting good at it but it's not helping the world okay i think i'm not sure that we're getting better i think something something else is happening and it's even more more scary so let's go back Let's go back to the example of with this like Salinger, right? Basically, it was the same story, so the story didn't change, right? It was, hey, you know, Salinger is, is a, one of the best storytellers. He, he knows how to tell a story, it's the same brilliant story. But the audience came from different points, right? Half of the audience had a memory. That the wife of an affair, and out of the of the audience, had the memory that the husband is jealous. Right? It's not in the story. It's what you bring to the story. And now, basically, there is really there is really a tension over here between what you believe and reality. So, so we say, first, I will ask you what was right. Now, let let's leave aside what was right, and let's ask, what do you believe, right? What do you bring to the story? And now you can see that different people bring to the story different perspectives. For example, half of the audience in the U.S. believe that Donald Trump, it's a fake news story, okay? It's a liberal media manipulation. So all this, like, Congress hearing, not going to help, because they believe this is, like, Democrats playing a show, it doesn't matter the fact, it doesn't matter the testimony, it doesn't matter because that's what they believe. And in a way, this this is what makes it really complicated now to tell stories because your audience become polarized. We were saying before that to communicate, you need to have an agreement with the other person. We need to agree that this is an iPhone, but we also need to agree but the facts, we need to agree that the wife have an affair. This is a fact. 
if we don't agree on the fact if we have different memories we have different belief system we cannot listen to each other so it's not about the quality of the story it's about what which stories we listen to to begin with and if half of the people listen to stories in which fake news is the common team and others a uh, group of uh, ill stories in which Donald Trump is is the villain that and this like fascist that took control over the country it's going to be the same that is going to be a very different effect and 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 I think that bring us to the essence of storytelling again storytelling was a way to bring us together to have shared reality but now this reality is shattered because we have like echo chamber that each one listening to its own stories and develop its own memories and its own belief system and there is no way to use stories to unite us so actually the problem is, is with the platform that propagate these stories and give you and I different stories and therefore we have nothing in common anymore um, Yuri I just wanted to uh, as, as we sort of maybe bring this to a close uh, to go back uh, to the start um, of, of your story and I'm, I'm really interested um, and it's certainly a bent of mine about creativity and how we experience creativity um, you said when you started you really wanted to be a fiction writer um, what what I want to know is have you do you do fiction writing or uh, or do you have any uh, plans uh, to do fiction writing you know, currently sadly I'm only writing scientific papers <laughs> so I, I don't have the time to do fiction writing I hope that one day I will go back because I love it but I think first I will write a book a popular scientific book and then I will go to fiction while I will retire probably yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, I've just actually finished reading a book uh, Arthur C. Brooks um, called From Strength to Strength and he talks about the two different types of creative thinking um, and saying that you know we burn out and we need to start a new type you know which obviously you know is, is about you know as we get older we get better at wisdom and so maybe sometimes you know we're better teachers so maybe you know maybe if you go to fiction writing at the end of your career you might be a, a better storyteller yeah uh, it, and that can also be connected to the beginning because I felt that I wasn't good enough storyteller, so I went to philosophy to become smarter. Actually, have you speaking of implanting stories? Have you ever seen the movie Stranger by Stranger yeah. Than Fiction yeah. um, with Will Ferrell and uh, Emma Thompson and Dustin Hoffman, which is in some ways a lot of what you're talking about, about, you know, implanting a story in someone's head, but it was very literal. Yeah, it was like a wonderful movie. Yeah. <laughs> You've yes, got, me, yes. got my mind um, racing about the whole idea of how and why people change their minds if they ever do. Because I think what the logical consequence, I think, of what you're saying is that we're getting better and better at entrenching ourselves that we just listen to the stories that reinforce what we already believe. Yeah. And so the challenge for all of us as, as parts of society kind of fragment from each other is to get, well, how do you bring it back together again? And that would require people to, to, to move and to say, ah, I am going to open my mind to something new. And therefore, what does it take to do that? Um, I'm not suggesting we try to answer it right now, but that seems to be the next 
That, that's the next and I think it's a crucial point and I have one thing that I think it's crucial for it to happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't have the power. <laughs> but it's really basically if we if we stop using the feed. Basically, don't get news feed. Don't click on the next suggestion after you click a search in, in Google or YouTube or whenever you search. Don't click on the next suggestion. Stop in the first question and start another question because basically the feed give you what you want to hear and the feed basically mm-hmm. is designed only mm-hmm. to keep you on the platform so they can have some more revenue you know yeah you stay one one minute more because of this next feed we sell five cent commercial offer over billion users we are billionaires so the feed is meant to keep you on the platform so they feed you stories you want to hear and and and, and then you come into mm-hmm. like a echo chamber loop and so that's it's a wonderful mm-hmm. point i hope mm-hmm. everyone will now tune into next week's episode where we'll explore that point for you. <laughs> <laughs> yuri one of the things that that i love about that and, and it and it really does bring it back you know to creativity because what you're saying is, and you know, we, we, we talk about the core of creativity is curiosity. And so really what you're saying is, you know, to ask a different question, which is really about being curious, you know, not, you know, not feeding what you, you know, <laughs> what they want to give you or you, what you want to hear, hear but actually yeah, being curious. Yeah. Uh, and up in your mind and listen to many versions of reality and then decide which one fitting you best. And always and keep doing it over and over and over. Don't stuck only with the Fox News. Don't don't only read the New York Times, Washington Post. Uh, you know, go to all medias, investigate, think, be more like a scientist than a consumer. Mm, mm, that's fantastic. That's uh, that's great. Well, Yuri Hassan, thank you so much uh, for your time. Um, it's been absolutely. Uh, a brilliant conversation. I, I've enjoyed it immensely. As we said, it's almost midnight here now in Australia, so in my mind's going to be exactly. buzzing. So I think I'll be up for hours. Uh, it is. It is. I'm going to be a be a scientist from now on. Maybe tonight I'll be just starting my research and not following the feed. Thank you so much, Yuri. Really enjoyed our chat. Okay. Thanks, guys. Good night. So, Chris, what a, what a fantastic uh, interview. Yeah, be a scientist, not a consumer. Don't uh, stop the feed. Um, remember, it's as much about how people listen to your stories. Well, so much good stuff. I'm, I'm hoping we're going to get flooded with feedback, ideas, comments, questions, curiosity. Uh, please drop your notes in the comments below. Obviously, hit subscribe because we're, we, we're only going to get bigger and better on the Common Creative after this. So um, please join us for, for next week's episode. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was it was really uh, a fantastic uh, interview, and um, uh, I learned so much as we do um, always from all our guests. But uh, but as you say earlier, Yuri is a uh, is a superstar um, in the world of of the science of storytelling and fits you know incredibly well you know both you and i chris have talked about in our uh, workshops and talks we we often quote yuri but we'd never actually met him and so we did get our story straight about what his message is uh and it's this thing what i found really interesting is 
that we talk about um, ideas and stories and illustrations. Uh, we did talk about with him about you know moving pictures and sound uh, music, but also uh, we also talk about metaphor as one of the key elements of um, storytelling and, and getting ideas across. And you know almost on cue. <laughs> three or four times he said let me tell you a metaphor first uh, so not only was he giving us the science he was also giving us uh, the practical application of the stuff that we teach so I found it very affirming uh, and uh, and look I found it very exciting looking as you said to that very last bit about don't follow the feed ask another question um, if that's something that you know I, I was not expecting uh, and I mm. think it's it's a fantastic insight not only about storytelling but you know how to live maybe a, a, a better life yeah and to, um, and to be more open to new ideas and recognize that we're training ourselves to perhaps close ourselves off to new thinking without realizing it yeah so so uh, until next week until next week see you all soon <laughs>